0: Welcome to Mind Love, episode 250. Today's episode is all about inner freedom and how it's really closer than you think it is. I used to
1: think as freedom in the form of, I'm going to only experience the things that I want to experience. I'm going to avoid all these bad things, and I'm only going to be in this constant space of bliss and joy, like those enlightened masters in the monastery, right? I'm going to avoid all those people that bring me down. And I'm going to avoid all those experiences that bring me down. And there's a teacher that says it's, there's a difference in freedom from and freedom to. And, and that's evolved to a place where it's the freedom to experience all of life. I feel more deeply than I've ever felt. But similarly to your experience with gestalting with the with the dragon, right, with with having these conversations, it now doesn't feel personal.
0: pure frequency with Mind Love.
1: Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's
0: time to give your mind a little love with your host,
1: Melissa Monti.
0: If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Today I want to share a review from Marfran who says something for everyone. Five stars. Melissa covers timely and relevant topics with insightful and thoughtful guests. Her guests draw from research, ancient wisdom, and life experience. So there's really something for everyone. Well, thank you so much for leaving this review. As you guys know, these are my favorite things about life. (laughs) I love five-star reviews. I love hearing how mind love is impacting you. So thank you for taking the time. What would it take for you to feel free? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, or even financially? What does freedom look like to you? Have you taken the time to think about it? For most of us, there's something, or even many things, standing in the way of what we view as our freedom, or so we think. If only I didn't have this back pain, then I'd feel free. If only I had more money, then I wouldn't be so stressed and I'd be happy and free. If only the world wasn't so batshit crazy, then I could live freely. If only I wasn't depressed or alone or stuck in this job and everything in between, then I would be free. But I wonder, how many of these problems are just perceptions? And even if the so-called problem is clearly an outside force that you can't control, how much of your suffering is because of your reaction to it or your thoughts about it? And how much is actually necessary? Is any suffering necessary? And the thing is, We can each argue for our problems all day long, so I'm not going to try to talk you out of yours because what I know for sure is that you've been building your case for your suffering for years, clinging to any evidence that supports it, and resisting everything else. The only person who can really challenge those beliefs is you, but I get it. The first time someone told me that my struggles were self-imposed— I kind of wanted to slap them. (laughs) Like, how out of touch and privileged and just ridiculous are you? But want to know something kind of ironic? This teaching has been around for thousands of years and is most popular in countries with much less privilege than I grew up with. But what I also find interesting is that most of the things that we think will solve our problems don't. People with more money are still suffering. People in loving relationships or in perfect health or with more skills and perfect bodies, they all suffer. So why is it that we think that any of those things will solve our problems? I do want to add a disclaimer that if you're in physical danger, there are hotlines that can help you take the steps you need to protect yourself. But I'm assuming that if you're listening to a podcast, you're in a place where we can go a little bit deeper. I do recognize that there is suffering that is not self-imposed, but this episode is talking about the ways that we create our own suffering, which is most of the time. Our guest today is Emilio Diaz Barroso. He is a lifelong seeker seeking recognition, achievement, love, success, and finally the ultimate carrot, enlightenment. He also has a master's in spiritual psychology and is the CEO of Nala Investments. Well, Emilio had it all, has it all. Even growing up, his whole life was pretty extreme privilege. But even he wasn't living in a state of peace. Eventually, he realized that all of the seeking was actually avoiding his own sense of unworthiness. And when he stopped avoiding, he was finally able to see his true nature. And now he wants to alleviate the suffering of the world. So three key things we will learn are how to break the trance of accumulation, how our filters warp our perceptions, and how surrender opens us up to peace and freedom. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for The Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation, and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Emilio Barroso to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So give us a little background on you and what brought you to now. You've had a lot of success in your career and investments. So why write a book on your journey to self-awareness?
1: I've been very Taipei most of my life. And I thought that I was going to get to this place where enough of the material success was going to give me that inner peace that I was so craving along the way. And when I realized that didn't do it then, which I think is, is a cliche that we hear often, right? It's like no amount of exterior possessions will actually really fulfill that hole inside. And I had heard it many times, but I think I had to experience it for myself. But what was tricky and more nuanced is that then I shifted my approach to other things that I was interested in pursuing. I was like, okay, now I'm going to value things that are more important to me. I'm going to value time with my kids. I'm going to value friendships. I'm going to value being of service, higher consciousness, self-growth. And while all of that is beautiful and, and incredibly rewarding, I hadn't fully snapped out of this mechanism of more. I need more, not enough. And the accumulation that was previously driven through sort of financial success, this bank account now became all these other things that I was valuing, but I was still subtly operating out of a sense of scarcity. This moment, as it is, is really not quite enough. So something must change in order for me to be full or whole or complete. And a lot of the people that I mentor, I do a lot of mentoring in my life. I've noticed go through very similar. I think we, we all are programmed in very similar ways, at least in the, in the West. And this software that I, because a lot of the people that I that I coach or mentor are entrepreneurs in the tech space, I speak of this sort of software and hardware and our operating system, and I really invite them to question the, the operating system they've been running under. And they're often quite motivated in disrupting larger industries or big companies, but they, you know, we just, we're never trained to disrupt ourselves. And that's really the genesis of the book, to scale that a little bit.
0: I talk a lot about scarcity mindset, and a lot of the people I've spoken to, they believe that that's because of their upbringing. A lot of them, maybe they, their parents were struggling to put food on the table, or they were wondering how they were going to pay their rent the next week or the next month. And and I think there's the assumption there that this scarcity mindset only comes to people when they grow up with lack. But that wasn't the case with you. So how do you think that was programmed within you?
1: Yeah, I grew up in a very externally abundant environment where my family had so much money and power and influence and all these things that I perceived as sort of the elements that needed to be in place to be in an abundant mindset. And yet there was always this sense of inner lack that would seep in. And I think that's, it's important to, because our mind will, will justify our dysfunction, right? It'll use any kind of narrative to justify as so, well, because I grew up like this or because this is the case or as soon as this changes then. But the way I've noticed my mind, and I think most people's minds operate, is around comparison. And and this comparison and desire for change is incredibly valuable, right? It's taken us to where we are today as a society, but it really only focuses on what's not here. It focuses on the future or on the past, and it only registers delta. It only registers a difference. So abundance without a shift from now to then sort of a plateau of abundance is no longer sensed as abundant. It's it's fascinating. It's That's the always greener mentality, right? And that's why I think a lot of us are always chasing and always trying to get something. And the disillusionment from getting what you thought would do it and not actually having that lasting sense of satisfaction is a, it's a hard pill to swallow. And for sure, I think when people are raised in environments where they're more present to the to the financial scarcity, it's <laughs> there's more of that fuel that may come online from a place of survival. The fuel that was coming online for me wasn't a fuel that was rational. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to run really fast because otherwise I'll have nowhere to sleep or I'll have nothing to eat because I, I never had those issues. But I ran just as fast. And my burden, the thing that I was running away from, was a sense of unworthiness, was feeling like, I was not special enough, or like I was going to waste my time, or because I had been raised in an environment that had so much, if I wasn't at the leading edge of everything I was doing, that means I had wasted that opportunity. And psychologically, that almost feels like survival.
0: (laughs) Something just came to my mind that, I don't know if it's ridiculous or totally relevant, but... I've had this I this struggle recently. I've over the last few years I've made a lot of really positive changes for myself in my 20s especially. I just had so many addictions and negative habits and things that I thought were going to be with me forever. And in the last like 10 years probably, it's like I stopped doing Adderall and doing the copious amounts of party drugs that I was doing. Last year, I stopped drinking. At one point in there, I stopped biting my nails, which was one of my hugest insecurities when I was younger. All these things, just one by one. And the thing that's popping up now is Amazon, damn it. (laughs) My Amazon (laughs) shopping cart. And uh, (laughs) when you talked in your book about the trance of accumulation, I was like, oh my gosh, it's that. And so I'm kind of going back and forth with that. But when you just said right now, like wasting this opportunity, what's been coming up for me lately is we have a child care helper here so i can work and get stuff done and the last few months have just been so difficult with this pregnancy that i'll have interviews scheduled and i never cancel my interviews but a few times i've had to because i just cannot get it together and then i end up like laying on the couch and like well i need to be productive we're paying this childcare person and i just don't want to waste this opportunity <laughs> and then like uh, there's been a few times where I, what i end up doing is i'm like scrolling through social because it doesn't actually feel like i'm doing anything and so i'm not just relaxing or surrendering into what would feel good but I'm also not getting up and doing what I need to. So it's like this in-between purgatory of just like scrolling through social media, thinking that maybe I'll do something productive. But it just comes back to exactly what you said, that like what was on me wasn't even necessarily like my own needs or, or whatever, but it's like, I have this opportunity, we're paying this woman, and now at the end of the day, I'm gonna have nothing accomplished. But if I'm being honest with myself, I still needed that help in those days. Like otherwise my kid was gonna just end up watching YouTube all day or something because I couldn't get up off the couch and so I know it's such a silly example but uh, it's popped up probably 100 times in the last three months
1: it's so incredibly relatable
0: we're all here just trying to live our best lives right So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, The Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams... risk free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com/mindlove. That's drink l n t.com/mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order.
1: It's so incredibly relatable thank you for bringing it so so real and it's and it's so common for most of us especially because it it almost also feels like it ties back to this sense of i need to maximize every moment and i need to earn my rest or i need to be so productive and i think some of us have it around productivity some of us may have it around other things but for me it was like if i'm not producing then who am i if i am if i am not providing value then then I'm wasting something. And and that was so deep. And and I did a lot of affirmations and psychological work around it and trying to unravel it. And I would be, in your example, in the couch surfing in this and but then going this and then convincing myself that I need to do something else and then overriding and then overworking. And then and it was this sort of total ping pong all over the place, which deep down were all distractions from experiencing what I was trying to avoid experiencing. And what I was trying to avoid experiencing was feeling unworthy or feeling not good enough or feeling like I was wasting my time or disappointing or wasting my life. All these sensations, I was so invested in never experiencing them that I kept myself busy. And when I didn't keep myself busy, I was making excuses or finding something else that was productive. Well, at least I'm taking a nap. A nap is, you know, that'll make me better later. Or I'm doing this and I'll be a better parent and but it was all through the filter of how do I avoid feeling not good? And the greatest medicine has been the willingness to stop running and in the body, somatically, let the experience that I'm running away from take hold. So I don't know if this is your experience, but if you can project the image of of sort of the the uh, daycare, right, and, or the, the person that's helping you take care of, of your child, and you're, you're sort of surfing through social media, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm wasting, I'm not really taking advantage of this. You probably feel it somewhere in your body. I don't know if you can track if it's sort of the belly or the plexus. or
0: Sternum area.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So right there, it's like, what if, because the relationship that we have to those energies that appear in our body is usually one of antagonisms, like, oh, this shouldn't be happening. How do I stop this from happening? But what if we got really curious with whatever sensation was here? And then you have this sensation in the sternum area that without its story is just really energy. And it's like, let's get curious to experience it maybe for the first time in our lives in a conscious way. For me, this was so counterintuitive. It almost felt like there was a sword pointing at my chest and you were asking me to walk into it. And some of those patterns in my system that I could not unravel with all my type A psychological work, spiritual work, dozens of silent retreats, all these things that I was doing to avoid feeling something. The willingness, I, I give the example of the kid that is, say, with my, I have three teenage kids, as you know, and I have to use a lot of very kid-like examples when I, when I try to talk to them, which is great because it keeps me out of concepts. But it's, it's almost like when you have, when you're scared of the dragon in the closet and you, the dragon in the closet being the sense of Waste, for example, right? And we create all sorts of coping mechanisms. We sort of leave the door very closed. We sort of sleep with our lights on. We, you know, wake up and make sure that everything's okay and go to our dead. And we become more and more proficient at dealing with our dragons and avoiding them. We convince ourselves there's no dragon. We, but truly, we don't get free of the dragon until we're capable of sleeping in the closet. And the equivalent of that is the burying our chest open to this sensation of wasting our lives. If you're anything like me, the energy will flare up in your body. And it's like, and it's so alive and it's like, oh, and it's almost like unbearable. And yet what's unbearable about it in my experience is the resistance to it. The energy in and of itself is actually alive and and sometimes uncomfortable, but it's, it's actually just neutral. And that's been incredible for me.
0: That realization that the energy is neutral I feel like the reason it's so foreign is because rarely do we experience the sensation without the story, like you talked about. And so, for example, we'll go back to this, like, wasting a day. For me, I think one of my challenges has been to avoid comparison. I have been really lucky enough to have a group of really successful entrepreneurs in my circle when I was in Los Angeles, people who have reached a level of wealth just so exponential to mine that on one hand, it was showing me what was possible. On the other hand, a lot of my wasting my day thoughts or what I'm doing in the day is not even about me as much as it is like, is this what a successful, a really, really successful person would do? And in doing that, I first of all, and making up stories about people's lives that I don't know the answers to at all. Like, I don't know if it's any different than mine, and maybe when they are productive, they're just doing it a little bit different than me, or maybe this is just the journey I'm supposed to be on, or maybe I'm struggling with other things, whatever it is. In those stories, I forget that I've reached a level of success that a bunch of other people I know haven't been able to imagine. I've also forget that success looks completely different for everybody and i and then i it, it shifts my focus away from the fact that so much of my life right now is the perfect amount of success for me and what i've actually been wanting in life and so then all of a sudden it's this place of lack and and this place of of resistance of what is just like you talked about and not only that it's it's not even as much of a resistance to what is but it's a resistance to I don't even know if this is the right way to phrase it, but a resistance to the things that I've created that I should be so grateful for. It's like I've just checked it off and I move on and I'm still chasing that next thing. Or I'm still comparing it to somebody else, which you'll always be able to do because there's always going to be somebody more successful than you. There's always going to be somebody that has more free time here, more that there. But I also know that there's areas of my life that I forget to look at because I'm so focused on those other things, and it may or may not be what I want. Like I forget that I've been able to have babies super easily, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, this is going to be the month I get pregnant. That's what happens. Uh, that's not a lot of people's experience, but they might have a different abundance in their life and and vice versa. And so I think that even recognizing what we're resistant to, we sometimes it's hard to even pinpoint what that is because we just get in this momentum of chasing the next thing that we don't even fully comprehend what the problem is or that we're struggling with. We're just creating them as we go.
1: <laughs> totally. And, and the mind is such a an incredible tool, but it's such a tyrant in that way, right? Because it'll use anything to keep us in this state of, see, the, the ego really thrives and its main mechanism is control. So it thinks that if it analyzes everything out there and it compares, then it'll have a better chance of controlling its, its environment but it also thrives in ambiguity. So what you're describing is this very ambiguous definition of success, right? I, I see an image. I almost create this superhero individual with all the great things that I would love to have. That's probably not real. And that's how it, I think that I need to be motivated. And if I, I truly believe that if I am not feeling that, then I will not be motivated enough to grow and create the success that I want to create. And you're right. When we land it, we start seeing all the ways in which we are successful, we haven't been paying attention to. We even question: Is that really what I want? Do I really want that kind of life? Do I? But slowing down and asking those questions is not something that we were necessarily trained to do. You know, the mind is trained to look at what's not working, what's bad, what's better. What's it's always operating in that in that framework. Again, I think it's you know when we're when we're psychologically oriented, we are trying to heal ourselves enough so that we stop feeling everything that we deem as undesirable including comparison including that. and it's unfortunately never going to happen we're not going to stop comparing right so so that's a, a, a losing proposition so then the invitation is like what is the grip that comparing has on you and the grip that it has is somehow this addiction to whatever it is that we see if we pull all these branches from this tree they're all going to lead to a similar trunk and in my experience it doesn't matter what branch you pick the trunk tends to be some version of Unworthiness, not good enough, uh, which is where comparison really stems from, right? Is this sense of, of something is wrong with me. And if I don't become incredibly active and protagonistic in my life, I will somehow deep down be a disappointment, be abandoned, be left alone. Like when we really track our worst fears, most of us end up in the street alone in some kind of despair. And again, my invitation, because we become really good at covering that up, even through gratitude. We use gratitude as a way to not experience these things. We use affirmations. We use positivity, which, again, wonderful, wonderful tools. But when we're using it to not experience something that is on the surface of our our reality, then we're just managers, right? We're in the business. It's not freedom. It's very conditional. It's a freedom that's dependent on not experiencing the things we don't want to experience. So back into the body, like the more we can connect somatically with our sensations directly see, because the mind operates in the past and the future, but the body is really here. What is what is that thing I'm running away from? Let me fully drop into that and feel it. Because then the next time that comparison kicks in, it does not have a grip on us. It's just sort of information. And then it becomes, when I see that individual that's incredibly successful, the, the capacity to be inspired is there as opposed to the the sensation of, oh, I'm not quite there yet, or I need to speed up, or I, or yes, but look at how bad the relationship is. Whatever I need to feel better about myself or worse about myself at any given moment, right? So I continue to inviting this this dropping into what is it that we're running away from and truly feeling it directly.
0: When I do that process now, I'm able to arrive there pretty quickly because I've been doing self-inquiry long enough I was almost going to say that I know what to expect, but I think it's more along the lines of I have less expectations and trust that it will come. (laughs) Whereas before I'm like, I'm supposed to hear a voice or like a big boom. But I do remember in the beginning of my journey, it was a lot harder to get there through self-inquiry because the stories were so loud and that's what I was used to attaching myself to. Do you remember when you were able to, or when that was still a struggle for you, how do you really get there when you are tuning into the body and the stories keep coming up and you keep trying to bring it back to the sensation. How do you get from that sensation to the revelation of the deeper truth that's underneath that? I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. Do you remember when that was still a struggle for you? How do you really get there when you are tuning into the body and the stories keep coming up and you keep trying to bring it back to the sensation? How do you get from that sensation to the revelation of the deeper truth that's underneath that, aside from the stories you're used to telling yourself?
1: It's like a muscle, right? This, for me at least, it was when I was first asked, How does that feel? I'd be like, That feels good. <laughs> it, was, it was, or it feels bad or it feels and when they said no but where does how does it feel in your body it's like well it feels I'd like it and 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 I was always I was so top heavy that all my referencing of my sensations was in my head and it's kind of like when when you're growing up I remember the first time that I was looking at someone's bicep and getting inspired by how strong they were I tried to flex my biceps but I couldn't even find where the muscle was and it's and it's one of those moments where you, you just keep on paying attention and bringing awareness to it. And eventually, to your point, it becomes a very familiar roadmap. It's like, oh yeah, I know how to almost internally navigate so that I, I identify where this energy is and I make space for it. And when I mentor people that are very top heavy in their mind, there's obviously meditation helps us create a little space between those barrage of thoughts. But we don't need necessarily to have these thoughts stop in order to sense. I like to invite people to say, okay, you're experiencing just narrative and narrative after narrative. What's it like to feel this narrative? Can you connect with the sensation of this mental noise? And oftentimes it begins in the head with pressure in the head. Sometimes then it drops into the throat and sort of the back of the of the neck. And so those are great gateways to whatever is happening in the moment. Because if we continue waiting for the moment to change, then we're back in that loop of then. And the body is really the medicine. And And if we can use even the craziness of the mental chatter as the gateway to feel something in the body, then it's always here and you don't need the years of practice.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of how you talk about resistance. And you said that you used to think you needed to resist in order to overcome. And we've been talking a lot about more like sort of just leaning into that feeling But how has that process of resisting to overcome changed since you've started tuning into that feeling? What what is your goal now for, let's say, a specific challenge? You now feel the sensations in your body, but what are you hoping to change through doing that?
1: That's a great question. I noticed the sensations weren't shifting when I had an agenda with the sensations. So if I am approaching... so. One of the things that I speak on in my book is how jealous I was. And jealousy was this big sensation that for the longest time I tried to avoid and outrun. And feeling it was always with the intention of getting rid of it. It was always like, okay, I'm going to feel it. I'm going to do this so that then, and I'm going to understand it. And it's got gifts for me. So let me, but all these were sort of different approaches that really subtly, even spiritually saying no to the moment. So when I started relating to jealousy as, okay, this is here and it's going to be here forever. And how would I relate to it if it was the most profound spiritual experience I had ever had? And then, and I didn't do it so that then it would go away. And it it just shifted the entire paradigm. And there are things I think that each of us are probably familiar with resisting that are less intense than some of those big dragons, right? There are little monsters that we all have. So I would encourage people to identify those little monsters and start changing the tide. And notice our immediacy to resist the little monster and then if it's little enough we may be able to catch it and say okay let me let me feel this little monster. Let me see where it resides in my body. Let me open up with curiosity, not so that it goes away, but it's almost like it's been this constant companion. Let me let me get to know it. And I know I had so many little monsters and big monsters and and I even had things that weren't monsters that I was so unfamiliar with. Like hunger or tiredness and these were sensations that i realized i had never actually fully experienced tiredness i have probably felt tired millions of times in my life i i realized i had always experienced the desire for tiredness to stop even be i'm gonna take a, a nap or i'm gonna go to sleep or i'm gonna drink some coffee or i'm gonna there's something that is not okay with this moment and it needs to be fixed i was like what does tiredness feel like and that didn't take a lot of courage because i wasn't scared of tiredness it's like, what does it feel like in my body? And this drooping a sensation in my my face, and this sort of lowering of my shoulders. And I was like, okay, let's just fully experience it. And then the aliveness inside of tiredness was incredibly surprising. And it's very similar to the aliveness inside the bigger dragons.
0: Like this realization of, I'm now in this. This is what I've been avoiding for however long, and I'm surviving it. And it it reminds me of. It used to be a big monster of mine. Now it's still a little monster because as you said, it's something that I've realized I have to live with. And I uh, had a very severe case of bulimia for over 10 years. And I had a whole process of healing through that, actually naming it and thinking of it outside of myself and thinking of it as like my little demon. (laughs) And that little demon's still there sometimes in a whole different way than it used to be. But one of the keys to me actually being able to Work through healing. That was realizing that I I would get these major cravings, and it wasn't even really a craving for food. It was a craving for the binge. And so to stop feeling that, I would I would give into it, and I'd end up binging a ton of food, and then purging a ton of food, and then it would I'd usually do it again because I'd feel guilty about it, and then that would be my way of numbing. And so if it happened earlier in the day, my whole day was a waste. If it happened later on the day, maybe I could convince myself to go to sleep, and it was just a hell spiral, honestly, and. I had a moment the other day where I could like feel that little demon popping back. I, It's hard to even tell why it comes up sometimes. Usually it's when any of my random addictions <laughs> want to pop up. You know, I don't have the wine there to just drink anymore. So now this one's popping its head back up and... But this time I knew, like I know what to do with that. And and I, and I it's so interesting to realize like, okay, I know this feeling and it feels like this pull, like I have to solve it, but I don't. And there's so much power for me now. I, I almost said I almost get off on it now, but like of the, yeah. oh, here it is. It's temporary. It's not permanent. It will pass. And like those moments are are almost euphoric to me now because it's like I found this place of power in something that was so debilitating to me. I could cry thinking about it because it was just like, I felt like a ruined human, you know? And so uh, I, it was just my one of my biggest sources of shame. And so now to still, it's almost more powerful for me to still feel it and know that I can handle it and know that I can move through it and know that I can survive that moment than it would be if those feelings never came up again.
1: Oh, so courageous and so beautiful. Because it is, it is, that is possible for all of us, right? In in the bigger ways and in the smaller ways. It's almost like these, we get these itches and we're so trained to scratch them with food or TV or alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. And yet there is such a gift in the itch in itself. It's, there's so much aliveness, right? And this, when you say I almost get off on it, it's like the, the itch without the need to scratch immediately as a, as a reaction is so alive, but we're so used to the call and response. Oh, this is this is up now, so I must do something about it. I, I experienced a lot with the sex drive, for example. If I'm turned on, I'm so used to, okay, what do I have to do about this? Let's figure it out what. out. As opposed to just fully, fully experiencing it. And I realized how little, as I was growing into puberty, I gave myself the opportunity to experience being turned on. Just because. So, yes to that.
0: That's funny that you say that. I never really... Sat in that as a place of power. <laughs> You're right that, like, there, it does feel like something needs to be done about this. And it, but it's the resistance that almost makes you feel contracted. But when you were talking, I had this huge visual of, like, what if I was out and about? What if I was single and mingling and, and like was just turned on? Like, I could be a goddess in that energy, yeah. <laughs> you know, and probably so attractive, just like walking around, not expecting no. No expectation on bringing someone home or on uh, whatever the expectations that come up from that, but instead just like, who am I in this sensation?
1: It's almost like, how much of a yes can I be to this moment? How much can I fully embody sort of divinity experiencing itself as me through this human incarnation? And how much can I allow turned on? And it's obviously all appropriate and contextual, but... What's crazy is that same aliveness of goddess energy that you're describing can be experienced with hunger or tiredness or anything that, that arises. And I feel like that's the that's the invitation that we get to live out as human beings. How fully, you know, psychologically and spiritually, escapism was was the, the way that I approached it. It's like, no, I must escape my humanity. I must do whatever I can to not feel all of this. When in reality, it was like, I must do whatever I can to feel all of life consciously. What I was really looking to not experience was the discomfort of the resistance to all of life. But when the no shifts to a yes, then we're just vehicles of light that have these incredible sensing organs to live out whatever is present in any given moment. And we have all these stories which are all illusory and not real, but we get to live out through these stories so that we get to experience all of these sensations, all of these flavors. And then what's life like when we get triggered and we see it as a, as a gift because now we get to experience what feeling triggered consciously feels like, which is very different than this perfect idea of this human spiritual guru that never is always at peace. And
0: there's a lot of things that would really do me a service to lean into and to stop resisting. And the same token through this process, you develop a self-awareness where it's like, okay, yes, I can give into this sensation that I'm feeling, but there's still behavior that needs to be modified. This is a big change I want to make in my life. And I think the trap that we fall into so often is it's hard not to beat ourselves up, like the binging and purging thing. I mentioned how I would do it once and then it would almost be a shame spiral and it would lead to me doing it again and again, or I'd end up staying up late and binging or, or whatever habit is your kryptonite. and And that negative self-talk, the beating ourselves up, for me, that would usually lead to another spiral. How can we support ourselves in modifying a behavior change without bringing in the negativity of like, I screwed up again. I can't believe I keep doing this. This needs to change or I'm worthless.
1: Yeah, that's such a big one. You know, when you say that, I envision almost like this cycle, right? The circular pattern of, I do this, so then I do this, so then I do that. And and there's so many opportunities along that cycle to break it, even in the places that we don't think are the places to break it. See, if, if every step in this cycle is a yes to life, right? Then if you, the moment that you catch yourself, that moment is a yes to life. I'm feeling ashamed. Can I drop into my body and feel shame? See, because the cycle only continues if we're trying to avoid shame, and shame is one of the most uncomfortable sensations I think that are out there. So, so it's it's very difficult, right? That may be a, a tough interrupt pattern it's a place to go into. But but if you can, it's like, oh, I'm ashamed. What does feeling shame feel like right now? Oh, I'm I'm in the middle of binging. Let me let me just for a moment, feel like what binging feels like. See, because we can modify behaviors, but if we don't address the underlying no, then it's always going to find a way to, we're going to find something new to create this same habit, right? Because the the mind loves that circle. The ego loves to be in circles, spinning. That's how it keeps us stuck in something. And it thrives off of this sort of, because ultimately what it's doing is it's creating more of that limited sense of self, which is really the the superpower of this of this egoic mind frame it's opposite being this big yes to life that almost feels like a like a, a spacious awareness where there's not a lot of separation between us and our environment see when, when we think of, of moments of flow or we're in the zone or we're present or whatever it is i like to think of them as as moments where this almost like there's this layer in between us and our environment in our life where all of those commentators commentary happens So there's us, there's a layer of intermediation, and then there's the world. And then in that layer of intermediation is, I like this. I don't like this. This should be happening. More of this, less of that. I can't believe I did. I'm binging. I should be ashamed. And when we're in those states of flow, it's almost like this layer thins out. And we're much more intimate with the moment. We've probably all experienced those in, in many different scenarios. But Ultimately, what I'm inviting is that that's available at any given point by dropping into the body. So no matter what cycle or pattern or it's a lot easier to implement change and to pattern interrupt when we start with that yes to what's here right now. Because part of what that does is that it positively reinforces our pattern interrupt awareness. If every time we catch ourselves doing something that we don't like, we judge ourselves, then somehow we're telling our system, Oof, you better try and get away longer next time. Catching ourselves doesn't lead to positive results. But if we catch ourselves at any given moment doing something that we're not proud of and we drop into a yes in that moment to what we're feeling, that's not to justify our behaviors. We may be involved in behaviors that are really unsustainable. We can always course correct. I'm just suggesting that we're much better at course correcting with a yes than with a no.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. I'm reminded of, I mentioned earlier how that little demon popped up again with the binging, but I feel like I hadn't really sat down to realize why it popped up. You know, I was kind of focused on my process of getting through the moment and it was beautiful and I was actually really proud of myself and I was like, ah, thank God. (laughs) This is just something I have in my toolbox now. But I mentioned that I've been having a really difficult time with pregnancy and for some reason, the whole picture just kind of pieced together in my mind as you were talking, and <laughs> I've been throwing up a lot in this pregnancy, not by my own, <laughs> not by my own desires at all. And part of me feels like, because when I was healing from my eating disorder, One of the reasons that really pushed me was that I ended up having such terrible gut issues that it got to a point where if I did throw up, I would get sick for a couple of days because it would like, I don't know what it's doing in there. Maybe the stomach acid would build up or whatever, but it would create nausea. And it was just debilitating. And so it was right at this point where I was making a lot of changes. And one of those things where I really felt like the universe was giving me the symptoms so that I had to make changes. And But suddenly now I'm in this stage of my life where I was throwing up multiple times a day, six to eight times a day for a while a couple months ago or even just a couple weeks ago. And I had this deep fear that it was reversing all of the healing, the physical healing that I had done on myself. And so... I had resistance to the whole thing, the whole pregnancy. Like I can't throw up this meal and it would be like I'd eat anything. And within five to 20 minutes, all of a sudden I was over the toilet. And that day that I I kind of worked through that demon, I think the reason it came up was because I had already thrown up like six times that day. And then all of a sudden it was like 8 p.m. and I was feeling good for the first time. And I was like, I feel like I can actually eat something and hold it down. And I had this desire to like eat my whole day's worth of food since I hadn't kept anything down. And I could just feel it spiraling into the same thoughts I used to have, where it's like, oh, one more won't be a big deal. One more won't be a big deal. And I used the technique that you talk about in your book when you talked about working through fear of just basically dialoguing with our different parts. And it's one thing that ended up helping me through bulimia. was actually like othering my bulimia and talking to it directly or talking to the part, the version of me that would succumb to this. And and so just the other day, what you would have seen me doing if you had a little camera in my kitchen was saying, Melissa, you think that this is going to be good for you and the baby, but it's going to spiral you into this. You have this other voice in your mind. It's going to bring up these old feelings. And right now your demon's right here. And it's going to keep getting bigger the longer that you do this. And And in doing that, not only could I hear it from a different perspective, so I wasn't in this warped mindset, because if I keep it in my head, it can even be saying very similar things, but I interpret them differently. It's like I have to hear them from an outside perspective. And then instead of sitting there and and doing one step after the other until I realized I was in some spiral I couldn't get out of, I went into a completely different room to shift my energy. I put on essential essential uh, oil diffuser. I s- put on music and I just laid on a yoga mat. And I was like, okay, I can't be in momentum of an old negative pattern if I'm just laying here. And instead, I just like closed my eyes and allowed what came up. And I probably could have gone deeper on the physical sensations, but this is what I could handle at the moment. And it was so interesting because I was laying there and... And I was just sort of closing my eyes, looking at the ceiling. And I had this really like deep sound journey playing on my speakers. And it was like, I could picture that demon like exiting me and just like going away because I wasn't giving it enough attention. And it was just one of those moments where like the next morning I ended up journaling about how it just like powerful that moment is. Like I tried to tell my husband, but I don't think he was just like, that's great, babe. But like it's like it's just so important to me because it's so deep for me that I don't. I don't think expressing it out loud was was really to, able to. To uh, other people, just That's can't true. really get the profundity of the moment. You know what I mean? And so that that dialoguing with the different parts of ourselves, it I think for me it made it feel less, it, it was so much easier to give up the negative self-talk because it wasn't about me. It was just about what I was experiencing rather than who I am. Yeah,
1: it makes it less personal. And you see a pattern or an aspect or anything as as this individual entity trying to do its best to accomplish its agenda. And oftentimes those are outdated. And deep down underneath all these agendas, there's there's a positive intention. It's just learn how to do it in very probably dysfunctional ways. And it's it's incredible that you were able to catch it, move rooms, find your space, set your environment because that's that's setting yourself up for a, for a win, right? That's like ultimately using all of your tools available to break this pattern. And that's that's incredible.
0: When you first began your spiritual journey, how have uh, compared to now? How has your view of freedom, whether emotional or physical or spiritual, changed from then to what you understand it as now
1: Mm. i used to think as freedom in the form of i'm going to only experience the things that i want to experience i'm going to avoid all these bad things and i'm only going to be in this constant space or bliss and joy like those enlightened masters in the monastery that was that was my definition of freedom I'm going to avoid all those people that bring me down and I'm going to avoid all those experiences that bring me down. And and it's evolved to a place where and now there's a teacher that says it's, there's a difference in freedom from and freedom to. And, and that's evolved to a place where it's the freedom to experience all of life. I feel more deeply than I've ever felt. But similarly to your experience with gestalting with the with the dragon, right? with With having these conversations, it now doesn't feel personal. This intermediary layer that is always saying, Oh, we're free or we're not free or whatever we are. is pretty thin. So I like to, I like to give the example of, of hiking, for example. And because a lot of these individuals that I speak to around all of these things and give them tools are very entrepreneurial. Like, But how do you, how do you operate in the world from a place of inner freedom? Like how do you, without attachments and with great sort of open heart and open mind, how, how do you do that? And I try to bring them to experiences where they've been in sort of something of a flow and hiking tends to be one of them. And it's like, imagine that you were hiking and you were overanalyzing every step you were taking and you were considering what rock you were going to step on, what plant you were going to step on, whether it was a little cliff over there you know, and always looking at the time to make sure that you were pacing the right way. It would be exhausting. Now, it doesn't mean that when you're hiking, you don't have a general intention and direction, but you're really very much in the moment. You're not, you're not, you're almost in this deep, place of trust and momentum moment to moment. And I believe that life, I feel like my life is lived like if I was hiking all the time. There's very few moments where I have to pause and now analyze and think, okay, how am I going to make a decision? Should I go X? Should I go Y? I do that as often as I would do that on a camp on a hiking trip, but it really doesn't happen often. Because I've I've settled into a place inside of myself where there's a deep trust in the wisdom that appears naturally. And the only thing I need to pay attention is when my mental chatter starts creating stories and pretending to know and attach to particular outcomes.
0: Isn't that interesting? I wonder if the reason that we don't tend to do that as much with hiking or what came to my mind was snowboarding, for example. Like, If every time I went snowboarding, I was sitting there thinking, oh, but it's a busier day, which I'll admit I do think about that sometimes. (laughs) But but, uh, (laughs) it's like, Oh, but then these people will probably be here. This jump will be hard to make. This will be difficult over here. It would take away all the joy of it. But because I know that I'm going to do it because it is a source of joy, like I'm doing that just to do it. There's not really a goal at the end of the snowboarding day or the hiking day or whatever your thing is versus when we're in work or whatever goal that we're struggling with resistance and pushing and pulling and whatever we almost think that we have to think of all that. Like, I've got to solve all these things before they even come, whether or not these things are even going to come because they might not. And maybe something totally different that you didn't prepare for will come up. But if we could get that same mindset to just be doing it to do it and take away the expectations of it, and maybe that's the way to truly find the joy in doing what you love versus, you know, always comparing, well, is this the exact right job for me? Or do I need to change this and this and this? Or I don't like this person, so maybe I need to exit completely. And we're just analyzing so much more in these decisions that we're making versus the things that we just show up to. And so if we can bring a little bit of that energy and just say like, like really have a little conversation with ourselves before a day of something that we normally resist in and, and just say like, I get to do this today. Like I I wonder what's going to come up for me. Anything's going to be exciting. Wow, it's a new opportunity to solve a problem, a new opportunity for growth. Like okay, getting on my computer and let's see what's in store. <laughs> like it just would change our whole our whole experience of our lives. But instead, so much of our suffering is just created by the stories that we tell ourselves. And two people can be doing the exact same thing day after day, and one of them's loving it, and the other one's resisting it, and like thinking that they're doing something wrong. And I think that's what a lot of people get caught up on is, you know, they haven't reached the place of enlightenment yet, or they are not happy here, or they are feeling jealous, or they're feeling like they want to do this, and and then it, it's not just that problem that they're facing. They're they're facing the problem of every story that they've ever t- told themselves along with, I think I'm doing life wrong. And if you're always thinking that you're doing it wrong, then how are you ever going to ease into or surrender to the moment and actually enjoy your life? So thank you for everything that you've brought to this interview. I've had so many aha moments <laughs> in reading your book. And, mm-hmm. and so for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your book, where's the best place for them to connect?
1: Thank you. They can go to Emilio's book.com and uh, all author proceeds go to a foundation that develops curriculum for school children and well-being. So, uh, yeah, and there's some writings in there as well. So, who we can go there?
0: All of the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 250. Your challenge for this week is a little thought experiment. So, you can journal this, you can sit in meditation and reflect, you can go on a long walk and allow your mind to wander. But I want you to ask yourself where in my life am I creating my own suffering? Where in my life do I feel there is a need to move me beyond where I am now? And is that need actually real? Question your beliefs. What do you feel yourself filling your discontent with? Is it working? Are those things necessary are you just putting a band-aid on a wound that won't heal because you're not addressing the root of the issue what false expectations are you carrying with you there are so many ways to get in touch with this but the first step is actually creating the space to come to these conclusions to start to rewire your mind to start to challenge your deeply ingrained beliefs we think that just because we're with ourselves all the time, that we know everything about ourselves. But I liken it to dating someone new, and every single date that you have, you go to the movie theater. You can spend a hundred hours with that person, but do you ever get to know them? No, because you're just being entertained by what's in front of you. Well, we do that with ourselves. What it takes to get deeper in a relationship is to have conversations and ask each other questions and bring awareness to that person, noticing their patterns, noticing how to communicate with them and adapting. We have to do that same thing with ourselves. We have to create the space to ask ourselves the questions to challenge the deeply ingrained patterns and beliefs that are just becoming more and more ingrained without that awareness and without that space. So what comes up for you? Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. Also, if this episode was helpful, please consider sharing it by either tapping that share button and sending it directly to someone who needs it or by taking a screenshot and sharing it on your Instagram story or an Instagram post. Tag Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast. I love seeing those. I reshare them. I love them almost as much as I love five star reviews. If you'd like to have your review read on the show, consider leaving a five star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Those reviews are like a really free way to make me the happiest girl in the world. <laughs> so if you do have a moment, whether it's short or long or anything in between, I am grateful. If you'd like to support Mind Love, the best way to do that is by joining Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com slash premium. You get early release episodes and ad-free listening experience. You get over 50 exclusive episodes that are only available for premium members, and some of those are the best episodes that I've ever done. You also get bonus meditations, and you get all of this in a private feed that you only have to import one time, and it's all automatically delivered to your favorite podcast listening app, except for Spotify, unfortunately. (laughs) So mindlove.com slash premium. You can also support one of my amazing sponsors, and you can find all of them at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next time.